Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 345 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing this week, my man? I'm good, my man. How about you? How's everything going? Everything is going well. It always is when speaking with you. Um, we're going to dive straight into the review part of the show. This one took place at the Auckland War Memorial Museum. Um, interesting sounding place in Auckland. Uh, this one was Friday, May 20th, so last Friday. Uh, just one fight to mention, really, on the card. John Parker, that's the brother of Joseph Parker, lost his O. He's now 8-1. and one. He lost a unanimous decision over six rounds against Dylan Wright, who's now t- uh, three and six. So a big upset there for John Parker. Uh, moving out now to Spain at the Bilbao Arena uh, in Bilbao. This one, an Eddie Hearn matchroom boxing show in Spain. It was on the zone. Um Going to run through the undercards. A quick mention here to Rhiannon Dixon, who's now 5-0. and A unanimous decision there over six two-minute rounds against Majuba Ubtil, who's now 4-1. and one. She was undefeated going in. Uh, Kerman Leharaga is now 34-3. Um, and three. Uh, He lost unanimously over 10 rounds to James Metcalf, who's now 23-2. and two. Um, It was for the vacant WBA Continental Super Welterweight title. Really, really impressed with Metcalf, actually, because I always felt that he was going to be there late on. You know, I felt that he's very, very tough, and I would I would have been very surprised if Leharaga would have been able to just run him over like he's done to some of the other Brits that he's boxed in the past. I know that Metcalf's very, very tough, and he would definitely be there and be strong and be fit in those late rounds. And, yeah, it turned out that that's pretty much what happened. Kerman Leharaga, you know, always, always has a good go. But, unfortunately for him, in the second half of the fight, that's where I think Metcalf began to start taking over. And um, it's a big, big, big upset there. I actually lost some money on that one because I expected Leharaga to win that one. Um, you know, I'm not sure by a knockout, but certainly if it went to the cards and was close, I thought they'd give it to the home fighter, but no, um, Metcalf got the win, and he becomes the second man to beat Kerman Leharaga, the only other man to have done it is David Avenesian, so I think that Metcalf, off the back of that, deserves a good fight, um, you know, a good, uh, big opportunity. Moving out now to the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London. This one was also on Friday. Brad Foster lost as well. Shocker for him. I think that was his comeback fight after coming off a loss. He was undefeated, um, you know, two fights ago, and he's now had two losses in a row, if I'm not mistaken. It went the distance. Of course it did. I think everyone expected that. Brad Foster now 14-2 and two with two draws. He lost unanimously over 10 to Iron Up Baluta, who's now 15-3. and three. It was for the vacant WBC International 
international super bantamweight title. Uh, Baluta initially weighed in a pound over the over the weight limit as well, and he came and made the weight in the end and managed to carve out a win there on points over 10. So Brad Foster in a bad place. He finds himself now. Um, elsewhere on the card, a win for Charles Frankham. He's now 6-0, and a points win over 6 against Sandeep Batty, who's now 6-4. and four. Um, moving out now to the White Sands Event Center in Plant City, Florida, USA. Again, this one was on Friday as well. There was a lot of action on Friday. Just one fight to mention, really. The main event, Fan Long Meng, the undefeated Chinaman, uh, now 17-1. and one. He lost his O to Jean Pascal, friend of the show, coming off quite a lengthy layoff, I believe it was. I think he was set to take on, I can't remember who it was now, Jean Pascal, but um, I think he popped for some kind of... Uh, drug if I'm not mistaken just after I interviewed him as well and uh, that fight fell through and I'm not sure what happened I don't know if he was banned or what or or what actually went on I know he said that he was of course innocent but yeah he managed to carve out a win here on points over 12 rounds unanimously so he's now 36 and 6 with a draw Meng down in round 9 as well um, yeah he was a good fighter Fan Long Meng to be honest with you but it's just been so stop-start. I remember him beating Frank Buglioni. I mean, he destroyed Frank Buglioni in Monaco a good few years ago. It's got to be about, ooh, probably five years ago now. God, where does his time go? And he hasn't really done much to capitalize on that good victory. Moving out now to Germany. This one, we're going to we're gonna go here really, really quickly. He's a bit of a cult hero on this show, at least. Daniel Diets boxed in Germany again. And for the first time, he actually lost weight. So um, he's down, I believe it's about four pounds, so congrats to him. And he also got another knockout, the 26-year-old German, now 4-0, I believe, with four KOs. So great stuff for him. And another fight that took place in a different part of, of Germany, this one was in Hamburg at the Insel Park Hall. Over here, Zan Kosobutski, now 18-0. and um, His opponent, Johan Duhapas, actually retired on his store at the end of round five. So Duhapas now 39-7, and whereas Kabutski um, is now 18-0 and with 17 wins inside the distance. That one was for the vacant WBC international heavyweight title. Moving out now to the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi. This one over here, um, I know that Floyd Mayweather did end up boxing that Don Moore guy. Didn't see even a single second of the fight. Um, I think he looked good from what I've heard. I'm not too sure. Um, I, I can't tell you much about that. But what I can say about the undercard, let's talk about real boxing fights and not exhibitions. Friend of the show, Badu Jack, with an expected first-round KO against the severely, severely overmatched Haney Atio, who's now 17-6. and six. Badu Jack now 26-3 and three with three draws. Delphine Pasoon as well with a win, unanimously over 10 two-minute rounds. She... Um, boxed here for the vacant WBC silver female super featherweight title. The part-time policewoman picked up her 47th win in 50 fights. She's 47-3 and three, and her opponent was undefeated. Now she's lost her O, 15-1, Elhem Mekhalid. Uh, moving out now to the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. This one was also on DAZN. Um, I was there for this fight. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to run through what I saw. A good win for John Hedges, beating an undefeated fighter. He's now 6-0, and a TKO in round three. Um, Chev Clark as well with a TKO also in round three, 2-0 now. He was able to knock out Powell Martinuk. Um, 
A good win on the card for Ellie Scottney, who's now 5-0. and um, Her last performance before this, I don't think she looked too good. And I was really eager to see how she'd look here, because if my memory serves me right, she kind of faded or took her foot off the gas a bit towards the later part of the fight last time. So this one here was a step up. It was a 10-2 minute round contest again. And she got in with Maria Cecilia Roman, a former world champion who has got, you know, a, a lot more experience, has just given a really, really good fight to um, Ebony Bridges in her last fight. She arguably should have beaten Bridges for the world title. But anyway, she's now 16-7 and seven with a draw. Um, very easy win it looked for Ellie Scottney. She looked like she's improved a hell of a lot since the last out. And it was for the WBA Intercontinental Female Super Bantamweight title. So yeah, almost a shutout in the end there for Ellie Scottney. I, you know, I can't say anything bad about the performance. It was thoroughly impressive. Alan the Savage Babic, what a shocking fight this one was. I mean, it was certainly fight of the night in terms of entertainment. Babic now 11-0. He goes the distance for the first time. Um, he got in there with, with the Polishman, Adam Bowski, who's now 16-2. and It was... A unanimous decision over 10 for Alan Babic. I don't think he'd been past maybe about five or six rounds or something prior to this. And his gas tank has always been, you know, massive, uh, massive in terms of problematic. <laughs> it's always been a massive worry. Um, you know, he's been blowing before if he can't get you out in two or three rounds. And anyway, he was down himself in round one. I mean, that that absolutely silenced the O2 arena. And Bowski, um, you know, certainly had him hurt. And Babich, uh, you know, rallied back and stuff like that. Obviously, Bowski had a point deducted. It was because he threw a punch just after the bell in round nine. It was kind of just on the bell. It was a little bit of a difficult one, you know. Should, should he have... Should, I don't know, I don't know, like it landed kind of on the bell, but the effect of the punch, I think, made it a lot worse, because Babich was absolutely gone, like he needed help back to his corner, and because the punch landed so hard, I think, and, and bothered Babich so obviously, that's what I think made it worse, and that's why he had the point, uh, the, the, the two points, uh, oh no, sorry, the one point took off, so, yeah, I mean, it's always entertaining watching Babich, because you just, you know, you're always going to get action, and this was no different, and I put a bet on this, that the fight wouldn't go the distance, because <laughs> even if you ask me now, is that fight going to go the distance, I already know what happened, because the fight took place on Saturday, I was there, I'd still bet that it won't go the distance, I'm still in shock that it did, I mean, you know, Babich was, was really tired, I think he got a bit of a second wind late on, and he hurt Bowski right in the dying seconds of the fight, but there was a lot of back and forths, and you know, Bowski's got a really solid chin, in, and he, he's a much better mover than Babic. Um, you know, there was a lot of Croatians in the crowd as well around me, screaming things out in Croatian in that in that uh, that kind of crazy Babic voice that they've all seemed to got. They've all seemed they all seem to have it and be able to speak just like him. So I felt like I was surrounded by Babic's. Uh, in in the arena, but anyways, good win for Alan Babich. Now eleven and zero, unanimous decision over ten. He gets the rounds in. I don't think he's going to want to go ten anytime soon again. Um, Chantelle Cameron with a win. She's now sixteen and zero. Friend of the show, of course. She moved, 
yeah, to 16 and 0. She successfully defended her WBC and IBF female super lightweight titles against Victoria Noelia Bustos, who still has never been stopped. I thought that Cameron might be able to be the first lady to do it, but she couldn't get her out of there. But she did win absolutely every round. A shutout there over 10, and Bustos is now 23 and 7. Um, what else took place on that card there? Robbie Davies Jr. with a win, a split decision over 10 rounds against Javier Molina, who's now 22 and 5. Robbie Davies Jr., though, friend of the show, pleased for him. He's now 23 and 3. Um, good win, really. Good win. Um, you know, closely fought fight and stuff. It was for the WBA Continental Super Lightweight title, but that is what he needed because, you know, it's, it's kind of like a mediocre win to get back in a big fight. I like the domestic fights for Robbie Davies at 140. I think there's some good fights that can be made there. Um, maybe like him and Tyron McKenna. I know McKenna's not necessarily a domestic fight, but, you know, British and Irish. There's a lot of fights that I think can be made at 140, and I'd like to see him in that mix, um, you know, before he steps up again in class and, um, you know, loses to be quite frank I think they should take it steady with Robbie Davies um, and the main event Joshua Boatsy now 16-0 and a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Craig Richards who's now 17-3 and with a draw like I say I was there for this one um, Craig Richards a friend of mine um, yeah I I kind of tried my best to score the fight and it was it was difficult because you know, when when you're watching the fight, you, you can't take any notes down while you're right there because you can't take your eyes off of it. And then when you take your eyes off of it between the rounds, you've only got the 60 seconds to write everything down. Then you've got to get back onto it. And it, it's hard to score a round as well and kind of write your notes down for each round while you're there. And I don't have the privilege of pausing it and, you know, pr pressing play again like you could do if you're watching it on TV. But anyway, back to what I was what I was kind of getting onto. Um the first round, I felt that Richards was clearly winning it until the last 10 seconds. The crowd went wild, um, you know, because Boazzi started to seemingly have success. But for me, everything was just kind of flying by. Nothing was really hitting Craig clean. And for the uneducated eye, I felt it probably looks good. But I didn't think so. Um, again, he may have just nicked it in those last 10 seconds because some stuff landed. But it certainly wasn't as dramatic as the crowd made it sound. Um, so yeah, maybe a Boazzi round there in the first. Round two, certainly a Richards round. Uh, both men were having moments in there though, but Richards was on the front foot and I felt he looked good when he was on the front foot. And Boazzi, when he would let his hands go in combinations, which he did a few times in that round, I didn't like the way Craig would just cover up and stand right in front of him covering up. I didn't think it would look good. Uh, in the eyes of the judges kind of thing but I felt Craig's jab worked well in that round and Boatsy didn't get close that often so I had it 1-1 round 3 was a really close round I gave it to Richards just about I mean to be honest it was there's argument for a 10-10 there and my judging for this fight wasn't spectacular um, but yeah I felt that if anyone nicked it in the last 10, sec uh, 10 seconds it would be Richards he landed a nice right hand but it was a scrappy round for the most part round 4 certainly a 10-10 round on my card Buatzi again you know started to come on a bit Richards had some moments as well it was certainly the round of, of, of the fight by that point round 4 both men were letting their hands go um, again I gave it a 10-10, but if, if someone had to just about nick it in the last 10 seconds, it would have probably been Boatsy. And there was a lot of close rounds and a lot of a guy nicking it in the last 10 seconds. That was happening a lot. So 
I was thinking these scores are going to be all over the place. And in the end, by the way, I was quite happy with the scorecards that the judges handed in. They were they were close enough for me. Um, back to what I saw. Round five, I gave to Boatsi. I mean, he was having good success in the early part of the round. He seemed to almost punch himself out, though, because um, after that, he didn't. He didn't really throw another shot. He could barely throw another shot. He could barely defend himself. Uh, Craig landed some big shots, but for me, it wasn't enough to win the round because I liked Buatzi's early work. Round six, I gave to Buatzi. I didn't think there was much in the round. It was, again, like a lot of the uh, other rounds, you know, I felt that Craig needed to just do a little bit more. I felt like he was being a bit too patient and he should be thinking in his head at that point that he's not going to get love from the judges. You know, we're, we're fighting Boatsy here, an Olympic medalist, the A-side. So I wanted him to do a bit more and I was a bit surprised at how patient he was being. Round seven, I gave to Boatsy. Um, again, I didn't think that Craig was doing enough. I wanted him to be first, him to take the... the, the uh, the initiative and and be first you know be be first put the put the uh you know the the punches together put the pressure on i just felt he was waiting too long um round 8 though was a massive round for richards um i felt that towards the end i mean boatsy was clinging on I don't want to say for dear life, but clinging on. I mean, he was he, he was he didn't want to trade. He was he was holding on, and he was really wobbly, man. He was he was in a lot of trouble. The most trouble he's been in by far in his pro career. He tried to come back um, with his own shots in the end, and you know he might have landed uh, one or two good punches, but Richards just had a massive round, so a very easy round to score, and I felt. Is this the turning point for Richards? Because I always thought that Richards would be able to come on strong in the late rounds, particularly round kind of 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that kind of area. I thought he was saving something. And again, I was I was talking about there how he was a bit too patient at times and I wanted him to be first and I wanted him to put the pressure on. I was convinced he was saving something for late on. Um, and when I, ha when I saw him have this big round 8, I thought, here we go. It's all starting to make sense. This is what I expected. But to be completely honest... Uh, we didn't see much more from him, um, you know, in terms of being the aggressor, in terms of putting his stamp on the next few rounds, because round nine was a really, really tight round. Round 10 was a crazy round. I remember Richards knocked Boatsy's gum shield out with an uppercut. Boatsy seemed to kind of, it, it, it seemed to inject him with, with, with some kind of rage or something. He started to see red. He got hit with that shot. The uppercut uh, knocked his gum shield out, and then he just started throwing about a hundred hooks from absolutely nowhere, and he knocked Richards into the ropes, and Richards did look in trouble for the first time, but the referee stopped the action to put the gum shield back in, and Richards come back and landed some nice shots himself. Um, I gave the round to Boatsy. Round 11 was another really close round, another argument for a 10-10, and round 12 was a really close round again, so there was more close rounds than clear rounds, to be honest, and a lot of the, I guess... Uh, rounds were decided on the last 10 seconds of, of, of the round. So my scorecard in the end, I gave it to Boatsy. I had it by about maybe two or three. I think there was about four close rounds. I gave maybe Craig about two or three clear rounds, and I gave Boatsy about... Well, I'm getting lost on my maths now, but I think there was about four really close rounds. So leaving the other eight rounds there, um, um, I think it was about kind of maybe... 5-3, something like that for Boatsy, you know? Yeah, that's how I had it. But the judges had it a bit closer, and I was happy with that. Um, so, yeah, that is that. That is that. We're going to move on from that one. Uh, in fact, just briefly, I'm going to say that it's so weird because 
and this is going to be really brief, but Richards, you know, he likes to say that we all kind of stepped up to world level, the, the light heavyweights in the UK. I stepped up and I went the distance with Bivol. Bivol's just beaten Canelo and I gave Bivol a harder fight than Canelo. And that is an absolute true statement from Craig. Now, Anthony Yard stepped up to world level, got knocked out. Callum Johnson stepped up to world level, got knocked out. Boatsy and a few of the others, like your Lyndon Arthurs, like your... Uh, there's a couple of others, you know, um, Dan Aziz. They haven't yet fought at that world level yet, so it's kind of premature to say that they're better than someone who's gone the distance and lost on points very narrowly, like Craig did. So it's been a, a real confusing time because we've not known who's the best and we we don't have much to base it off of. And Craig, you know, given the fight he gave to Bivol, you'd say has definitely got, uh, you know, a claim to be the best in the country, but he's obviously lost to Boatsy there. I don't think anyone gave it to Richards. I haven't seen anyone give it to Richards. It was it was close, but I mean, Boatsy won. Um, so you have to say maybe Boatsy's the number one, but he also hasn't had the fight. So I'm not sure where we can put Richards in terms of his level. Is he world level based on the performance against Bivol? I mean, some people would say yeah, some people would say no. Um, is Boatsy... I mean, what level is he? Because we don't know what level Craig is, so what level can Boatsy be? Because this is by far, by far the biggest win on his, uh, the best win on his resume. So I'm still a little bit confused. And I don't think that, I think styles make fights, to be honest. And I mean, we all we all agree on that one. But I don't know if Boatsy would even be able to go 12 with, with, with uh, Bivol, whereas Richards did and almost won. So <laughs> I'm so confused as to where the levels are for these guys, but... I don't know, I just wanted to throw that in, because I don't think Boatsy is going straight to the top based off of that win there, but it was impressive, and he won. He won on my card, even wider than the official card. So, yeah, very confusing, and I don't know, I'm just saying what's on my mind, I'm not really thinking it through. But, um, yeah, good win for Boatsy all in all, that has to be said, and gutted, really, for, for Craig Richards. I mean, there's still some unbelievable fights that can be made. I just hope that he comes back on a big show because he has done things the hard way and he deserves another opportunity. You know, he hasn't had things easy. He's always done things the hard way. Um, and Boatsy needs to be stepped up as well. They've talked about some great opponents for him in the past. They've been talking about Bivol. Um, and now that we know that Canelo is going to be boxing Triple G again, then, yeah, let's bring Bivol to the UK. Let's let's actually do it. Let's actually do it. Let's stop talking about it. Let's actually do it. Anyway, moving out now to the to the um, Gila or Gila or Hilla Arena in uh, the, the Hilla River Arena in Glendale, Arizona, USA. This one was on Showtime. David Benavidez, friend of the show now, 26-0, a TKO in round three against David Lemieux for the WBC interim super middleweight world title. Lemieux down in, in round two. Um... You know what, he actually showed a bit of uh, resistance, Lemieux, which I was quite surprised about. I mean, he came there, took a beating, and kept trying to carry on when the referee wanted to stop it pretty much after, I think, uh, after Lemieux was down for the first time. He got up, and the referee was kind of, I think, about to wave it off as the as the round ended. So he kind of gave him like a like a, you know, a second chance coming out for round three. And he literally said, you have to show me something. And I think he said that about two or three times to David Lemieux, who, like I say, went out on his shield and has to be, uh, you know, respected for that because he could have at any point took the easy way out. And it wouldn't have looked like the easy way out because uh, David Benavidez was just raining shots in from all angles. He landed some 
horrendous body shots and oh man he absolutely beat the brakes off of Lemieux and it was a mismatch and you know I'm, I'm kind of more impressed with Lemieux for taking the beating than I am for Benavides for getting him out of there in that fashion even though it's a bit of a statement because he's the first man to stop Lemieux in the first half of a fight so he's never been stopped any quicker than this but it was a a, a real mismatch on paper and I love David Benavides but it has to be said you know he was you know Lemieux Lemieux is no match for Benavidez at any point in his career, certainly not at this stage of it. So Lemieux now f- uh, 43-5 and five, and Benavidez 26-0. and 0. Um, On the undercard, Victor Ortiz with a win unanimously over 10 rounds against Todd Manuel, who's now 20-20 and 20 with a draw. However, Manuel actually had Victor Ortiz down in the 10th and final round. I didn't see it, but apparently he was really hurt, Victor Ortiz, so... I mean, I'm not sure why he's even still fighting, but that was his 33rd win. He's got seven losses and three draws. But yeah, a little warning there in the final round when he was really hurt that, you know, maybe he should uh, walk away while his health is intact. Um, yeah, and also on the card, Richardson Hitchens now 14-0. and um, A TKO in round four against Angel Rodriguez, who's now 12-11 and with three draws. One thing about Richardson Hitchens, they've been speaking about this guy for a long, long time. You know, I think he's done a lot of hard work, a lot of, a lot of um, work in the gym in terms of not just hard work training, but also sparring. I think he's kind of made a bit of a name for himself around the gyms he's got a good reputation there and we're yet to see him kind of I guess show it his awe in a in a in a ring on fight night but they're tipping him for big things and Javante Davis said something in the um the all access with Rolando Romero which we're gonna I'm sure mention a little bit later in the show but he said yeah you know this is Javante speaking now he said yeah you know um I've got to be on my A game because you've got people like Shakur Stevenson and Richardson Hitchardson, which made me laugh out loud because his name's Richardson Hitchens, but hearing him called hearing him called Richardson Hitchardson was hilarious. Um, <laughs> a pure mistake as well by Javante Davis, who, as I say, once upon a time when I interviewed him and I asked him who his favourite UK fighter is, uh, asked me if Canelo was from the UK, and I, I will never be able to forget that. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, moving out now to the Results World Las Vegas in Nevada. This one over here, a top-ranked show. Um, It was on YouTube, actually, this one. Um, Anyway, on the undercard, just one fight to mention, really. Uh, Jamel Herring, he actually lost. He's now 23-4. and He lost a unanimous decision over 10 rounds to the undefeated Jermaine Ortiz, who's now 16-0 and with a draw. I think Ortiz was uh, quite a good amateur. And he was a big favourite to beat Herring, who was coming off that loss to Shakur Stevenson. But I felt like, hey, don't disrespect him. He's still, you know, he's still shown him, himself to be a world-class fighter. And he lost to Stevenson. There's no real shame in that. So... You know, to come back and step down a few levels to take on this guy, I felt that him being a clear 2-1 to one underdog was a bit disrespectful. But, in the end, the the favourite won. And Jermaine Ortiz now has the NABF lightweight title and the vacant... Well, it's not vacant anymore, but he's now got the USBA lightweight title. Jamel Herring, off the back of that, has decided to call it a day and hang up his gloves. He's now officially retired. Um, the former... 
the former WBO Super Featherweight World Champion and one of the very best, nicest guys in boxing, Jamel Herring. Boxing, certainly going to miss him. And um, yeah, certainly one of the good guys. Absolutely love Jamel Herring. No one can say a bad word about Jamel Herring around me. Um, so yeah, and it's going to be sad to see him go. But, you know, I'm happy that he's done it on his own terms. And, you know... Yeah, I hope he enjoys life after boxing. He certainly deserves to to enjoy life after boxing. He's had a wild, wild ride both inside and outside of the ring. And another guy that I think they could make a movie about, or or at least a, a an in depth documentary about, and everyone would watch it because he's had an interesting and uh, crazy up and down life with sadness and and um, you know and and happiness. Um, Anyway, the main event, Zanibek Alim Kanuli, um, always pronouncing this guy's name wrong, but anyway, he absolutely blasted through Danny Dignam of the UK. Bit sad for me, I wanted Dignam to do well, obviously being a British fighter, but I didn't give him a chance in hell, in all honesty. Um, Alim Kanuli now 12-0, a KO in round two. Danny Dignam now 14-1 with a draw. I don't even think he landed a punch. Um, he lost the first round uh, 10-8 and he got knocked out in the second it was for the WBO interim world middleweight title and we want to see Alim Kanuli with some of the guys like your Demetrius Andrades like your Charlos I think there's some unbelievable fights for him that can certainly be made in the middleweight division it's very very exciting but anyway that wraps up the review part of the show the final thing for me to do just before we wrap this part up is to welcome this week's special guest Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated super lightweight prospect. It is, of course, Mr. Harlem Eubank. Harlem, welcome back on the show, my man. Hey, thanks very much, man. It's always a pleasure having you on. Always a pleasure speaking with you, Harlem. Uh, we last spoke back in December of 2020, so quite a while ago. Uh, it was just after your win over Daniel Egbenike. Since then, you've had those three fights, those three wins, all by stoppage. The second of those two wins, I just want to touch on briefly, Viriel Simeon. Um, Simeon, obviously, mm-hmm. a guy that had been the distance with the likes of Lee Selby and Scott Quigg, two accomplished world champions, albeit those fights were a few years before you boxed him, but you must have been pleased with yourself at this stage of your career to get a knockout against Simeon. Most definitely, like you say, he's a very experienced dude. He knows his way around the ring and he's had that success in there with, you know, world champions. And he, um, I think a lot of people underestimated his ability and experience. Um, but yeah, I definitely wasn't one of those people. And, um, you know, all respect to him. I knew he was going to be present some challenges, and it was a good one for me to kind of overcome um, what he brought to the table and um, and get that stoppage. Yeah, and that one, of course, was back in February, and on that night, you were the only fighter on the entire card to score a knockout. Um, that brings me smoothly on to, to to my next question. Your most recent win, obviously, May 13th in London against Sean Mashadod. Not only did you also become the only man once again to win uh, by a knockout on that entire card, Harlem, but, and it's twice in a row, as I say, but you, you also become the yeah, quickest yeah. man to stop Dodd. Um, really? Yeah. Wow, that's a stat. There you that's go. A, that's a that's a very interesting stat. Um, yeah, you, you 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 picked up on on that point on both shows that I was the only one to get the stoppage on the show, and that was you know I wasn't aware of that until you you put it forward. But it's nice it's nice to hear. 
Um, and yeah, and to get to be the quickest man to stop Dodd is, you know, that says a lot. He's been in with a lot of good opposition and he can fight and he brings he brings the fight to everyone he's in there with. Um, and, you know, I was expecting a long, hard-fought 10-round fight. That's what I prepared for. But it's, um, you know, the things I'm drilling uh, are coming to fruition and, and um yeah, I wasn't going out, going in there to blast them out. I was going in there to to take my time and and um, and gain that experience from from him and draw that from him. So um, yeah, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised and um, yeah by that stat. Yeah, it's all coming together. I mean, as I say, it was a shame that they they did show it in the end, of course, at the end of the telecast. It's a shame that it wasn't shown live. I mean, I don't think anyone really expected that because, like I say, uh, you know, it's, it's a big statement. I mean, Dodd, generally very durable, went the distance and beat um, Francesco Patera, of course, who went on to beat Lewis Ritson and become European champion. And Dodd, as well, we should mention, went the distance, didn't get stopped early like you did to him, uh, went the distance with uh, with Joe Caldina, who's fighting for a world title uh, just next month. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a brilliant thing that you've done there. Um, did you shock yourself in any way, getting the job done that early, Harlem? Um... Yeah, I'm kind of I, the way I think about it. I'm prepared for all outcomes, and the the goal is to go in there and win and and um, and practice the things that I've been drilling. Um, I'm not thinking in my head, you know, I want to get him out of there, but a part of me knows if I if I land flush, you know, I don't. I I think I can end the fight early, um, and that's that's what it was. You know, I wasn't. It wasn't one of them shots where I planted my feet. I was on the back foot, um, and it was just pure reaction. And that's that's what boxing is about. That's when you're when you're at your best. It's you're fighting on instinct. Um, you're in flow state, and the shot I didn't even, you know, the exact shot. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't necessarily planning that shot. Um, you know, there was shots that that maybe could have worked better throughout the fight and other shots I wanted to work and practice and, and um, you know, bring out in the fight. But this is, you know, this is flow state and I just reacted to um, that distance and, and connected flush. And that's that's what uh, boxing is really about. Just, um, you know, when you're in the zone, it's pure, pure reactions. And, and that's usually when the, when the, um, the clean the clean shots come both times that I've landed that left hook like that has been pure reaction and not kind of loading up and, and trying to get the man out of there. And Harlem, I want to ask you this, and I feel like maybe I asked you this when we spoke in December of 2020, but what kind of belt are you targeting kind of in the near future? Because it's so hard to determine where your level's at right now. I mean, as I touched on, to do what you did to Dodd, a European champion couldn't do that. Uh, uh, Caldina couldn't couldn't do that. These guys are kind of like world level, European level. You've had like one or two sort of domestic fights come through them relatively mm. easy. I mean, where are you at? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm exactly where I need to be. Um, I'm improving with every fight. And, and I think the, the, the fights that 
I laid out in the future will will continue to to show where I'm at and where I'm heading. And um, I've you know I've got big aspirations in the sport, and I think slowly fulfilling them, fight by fight, and gaining the experience I need to be comfortable at them higher levels. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in no rush, um, and you know I'm on I'm on the right path, and I'm um you know I'm showing that through the performances I'm looking at top fighters and and um you know want to want to test myself so I've got to, I've got to um you know hold back that that uh, competitive edge and and take my time to to really put in place the technical aspects of the game that I have to um you know brush up on to become that fighter I want to be and it's been a little bit of a rough patch um, for the gym, if if I'm not if I'm not wrong. Obviously, my memory's so bad when it comes to who trains out what gym and stuff. But off the top of my head, obviously Josh Kelly losing to Avanisi and his comeback fight falling through hours before it was set to take place. Uh, Shannon Courtney losing her title. Michael Conlon getting viciously knocked out in Nottingham. You're you're seeming to be the only one consistently getting the wins. And obviously Liam Williams as well losing to your cousin, which I don't think you were too upset about. But it's a bad time for the gym. But you're the only one getting these wins at the minute, Harlem. <laughs> No, I think, well, the thing is, you know, with Josh and the Avenesian thing, that at the time, obviously, you know, we all felt that, but it was a long time ago, so the, so the energy has kind of shifted since then. With with Mick, um, you know, seeing him seeing him dominate for 12 rounds like he did, um, and then for that for that to happen at the end was, was devastating. Um, and we all really kind of felt that and, you know, felt to some degree how he was feeling. Um, kind of when you when you train alongside someone, you see them do the work, you see what they deserve. And for something, for something like that to happen with, you know, under a minute left to go, it hurts, it's painful. So, um, but that's boxing. It's, you, you have to ride the highs and the lows and, it just creates the story, um, you know, of of the champion that came back from adversity and um, and achieved great things in the sport, and that that will be his story. Yeah, if Mick can come back from that and win a world title, it certainly will be a fairy tale. Um, how soon do you want to be out again, Harlem? Um, I really want to be fighting once a month. Like I'm, I'm. Um, you know, I'm inspired by the old school guys that are fighting regularly, and I feel like activity to to a high degree is what made the the old school fighters so good. Um, you know, staying in the gym and and fighting regularly, being active and and practicing what they're working on, and that's that's what I need to do now. Um, so I'll, I'll be out. Honestly, like I would be out once a month if I could. Like I'm back. At, I was back in the gym. Monday after the fight and and um, yeah preparing for the next one so um, I, you know like I said I really want to fulfill my ambition in the sport and to do that you know I have to apply myself um, starting at 18 I've got some some catching up to do so um, that's that's my mindset I really want to um, get active and and fulfill fulfill my potential 
And I know that you were at the fight on Saturday, Bawatsi Richards. Um, who did you specifically come to see, if anyone, um, Harlem? Um, yeah, I mean, there was some good fights on the undercard. Um, Ellie Scott and me put in a good performance. Um, and, yeah, there was there was a load of good fights. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to, obviously I wanted to see, like, Bawatsi display his skill set. Um, yeah, he's 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 an exciting guy to watch. Very talented, and um, you know, Craig Craig brought brought the fight to him on uh, Saturday, and it was a really good one for for Boatsy to kind of show what he can do, but also have moments where he had to dig deep and and um, come through a little bit of a fire in the in the middle of the fight to um, you know, secure. A um, to secure like a, a well-earned victory, um, but yes, yeah, I'm, I'm a fighter that I like watching someone's skill set. I don't really, I'm not drawn in by a necessarily like a 50-50 um, scrap. Like some people like just watching a watching a scrap and two guys go at it. Um, but I like watching, you know, I like watching people with skills, and I like watching a skill set. And if it's if it's a uh, a test where it's fifty fifty and it's back and forth, that's that's even better. But I'm uh, I'm inspired by by people's skills, so that's uh, that's what brought me out to watch. And we touched on it briefly. Your, your cousin Chris Junior uh, got got a good win over Liam Williams, your, your gym mate. Uh, I still can't believe you had him down four times. Um, what 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 do you want to see your cousin Chris do next, Harlem? And can you tell us any inside info? <laughs> well, he wants the big he wants the big guys. He wants the big names. Yeah. He wants the big fights. Obviously, Kel so. Brook's gone now, but yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, Kel was. I think it would have been a little bit of a mismatch in the ring. Um, but yeah, it would have been, you know, two guys with, with big, big um, fan bases, done a lot in the sport going at it. And it, w- it would have captured the, the fans. But, you know, I think Curl's done the right thing in, um, you know, sailing off on the Amir Khan victory. And, um, I think there's there's some big names out there for Chris. I think Golovkin is I think Golovkin is the perfect fight for Chris now. Um it's perfect timing. They're both um at that stage of their career where the fight makes sense now. Um and you know, Golovkin he's still got that power. He still he still knows you know, he still knows how to um maneuver in the ring and he's still a very very dangerous man and um, Chris will bring that intensity and speed and excitement that people necessarily haven't seen against Golovkin like Golovkin hasn't really faced a guy like Chris so um, yeah I think that would really be a fan friendly fight that that people can get excited over um, but yeah there's a, there's a lot of names left out there for Chris but I think that Golovkin is is number one yeah we definitely want the big names for Chris really excited to see him back out and um, yeah I hope that we we get to see you back active maybe not once a month Harlem but certainly maybe once every two or three months at the very least yeah 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 I think 
I think that's more realistic in the current climate. But exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Hopefully, hopefully July is next, and um, and then yeah, plenty more activity after that before the end of the year. So let's let's get to it. Absolutely. And just finally, Harlem, if you've got any closing words just before we wrap it up to anyone that's listening at all, um, say whatever you like, my friend. Yeah, continue to um, to follow my career. Um, get at me on all my social media platforms at Harlem Eubank, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And um, yeah, continue to follow the journey and uh, stay updated on, on Fight News. Absolutely. Listen, Harlem, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my man. Thanks for your time, and I'm sure that we'll be speaking again in the not-too-distant future. No doubt. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with the fact that there's no official date for it just yet, but it's been agreed. We're going to see the £130 female unification. And it's going to be unbelievable. We're going to see the WBO and IBF um, and Ring Magazine champion, Michaela Mayer, friend of the show, um, defend her titles against Alicia Baumgardner, who, of course, is the WBC champion. That is going to be unbelievable. No date just yet. Um, No idea on a date just yet, but it's been agreed. Terms have been agreed. So it's on, you can say. We're just waiting on a date. And I am so over the moon for that because it's it's, it's great times for women's boxing. And it seems to just be getting better and better and better and better. And this is one of those fights that everyone's going to be tuned in for because this is one of the best fights that can be made again. They keep making these amazing fights. I'm taking my hat off almost every week now for women's boxing. It's amazing. Um... In other news, Canelo versus Triple G3. It's been signed for September 17th. Um, No venue announced just yet, I don't believe, if I'm not mistaken. But that's going to be the date. And some people are a bit bit, uh, surprised to see Canelo go down in weight again and take on Triple G. And then he's got plans, of course, to fight Bivol after that. What do you make of that decision, Eddie? Because you know... Obviously, you know, what it takes to, you know, fight him. Well, I guess you don't know firsthand what it takes to fight in weight classes. But, like, he's gone mm-hmm. up to light heavy. He's 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 fought Bivol. And now he's going to go back down in weight with a plan to come back up in weight for the rematch with Bivol after he puts a few more miles on his clock against a massive puncher like Triple G. Um, is it a wise move? And, of course, if Bivol loses the belts in the meantime, oh, boy, oh, boy. Yeah, well, do, do I say that he's counting on that? No, no, no. I'm not going to say that. I think he obviously wants to be able to go in and beat Bivol, but I think he's looking for a confidence booster, thinking that he's can, you know, Triple G's a little bit older, he's longer in the tooth. It's going to take a lot more for him to uh, deal with Canelo at this stage in his life and his career. And, you know, it, him beating Triple G, and if he's able to beat him soundly, will definitely put some, get 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 some uh, wind in his sails and really make him, you know, feel a lot better about what has happened in the last this past uh, this past situation with uh, Dimitri Bivol. So, I mean, I, I'm thinking that that's where it is. Plus, and quite obviously, uh, the biggest plus in this situation will be the 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 money that that they're going to be able to make from this fight. So, um, I think there's a little bit of that too, or a lot of bit of that, and. Um, 
I think it's honestly a confidence boost. I just don't I don't know that Triple G will be what he has been. I don't think he will be, even if you know he gets up for this fight to, you know, to 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 be the best he possibly could be at this stage. I just don't think it's gonna be, you know, the kind of quality that you would expect from a triple G. And especially in a fight with Canelo where, you know, it's uh it's 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 like it's a big fight. It's a it's a grand fight, but he's just he's a little bit older than he needs to be and he showed it in a couple of fights he's had uh not too long ago. So um and I think Canelo knows that. I think, you know, the team and all that knows that. They understand that they could cash cash in on the on on this victory and then get some confidence and at the same time, uh, you know, well, at the same time, get him that confidence so that when he goes back up to fight Bivol, he's uh, he's he's 100% ready mentally to go back in and hopefully take the win in his eyes. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just talking from an ignorant point of view. It's just my own thing, but I'm just not interested in the third fight. I mean, the first fight was, was the good one, I think, where... Most people felt Triple G won. The second one, I had a draw. I know that some people still think Triple G won or maybe Canelo won or whatever. But this third fight, you know, it's been a while as well. And every single time Triple uh, Canelo's improved and improved and Triple G has um, gone more and more down the slide. And, you know, Triple G didn't look fantastic in his last fight, of course, even though he was able to knock out Morata um, and Canelo... I don't know. I mean, I saw a post. It's it's really weird because I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm just not excited for this third fight. I'm going to, of course, watch it. And it's still a big fight. But I just think, I don't know. I'm just not that excited for it. And someone said that, you know, I mean, I don't understand. If he's going to be going back in with Bivol, why not go straight back in? I know you touched on it, perhaps being a confidence builder. And someone said on Twitter that, I saw a tweet that someone said, um, you know, everyone's moaning about Canelo fighting Triple G again, whereas if it was Andrade fighting Triple G, or if it was Charlo fighting Triple G, or if it was any of these other guys fighting Triple G, Benavidez fighting Triple G, uh, everyone would be like, that's the best name on their resume. That's the best name on their resume. But Canelo's doing it for a third time, and people are hating on that, saying he's ducking. So, I don't know, it's a weird one, because I kind of feel like, yeah, that's kind of true. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think we've seen it twice. I don't think we need to see it a third time. I'm just not interested. And okay. I, I just, I mean, God, could you imagine if Golovkin won? I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ. That would just, I mean, what would be next? Yeah, <laughs> what would be yeah, next? You know, I'll tell you what he would do next. I'm going to tell you exactly what he'd do. If he lost to <laughs> to, to Golovkin, he'd probably move up to fight Bivol and then he'd wait and he'd, he'd make Golovkin wait another two years before he can go and have the full <laughs> fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that actually would be funny. But I mean, forty-seven. Yeah, go on. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, um, I agree that you know there's, there's a lot going on with this. That you know, and then with the fight itself, it's just, in my opinion, too, you really aren't that interested in seeing the third fight. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm not either. But obviously, as the fight gets closer, you get a little more excited about it. The prospects of those two guys getting in the ring, being two of the biggest names in boxing, two of the best fighters in boxing. Sorry about that. You still kind of, you know, it's still an interesting fight. It's still the kind of fight that you want to see, like I said, two of the biggest names. And you kind of want to see what uh, Golovkin still has left. And you also want to see if possibly 
uh, you know, Canelo could dominate or, or you know, just, just the, the prospects of that. If he, you know, what if Golovkin wins, just like you mentioned, it, it, there's some interest in that. But for the most part, everybody's probably selling on the fact that, you know, Canelo is how Canelo wins that is going to determine uh, what we think of him more so than whether or not, you know, uh, Gennady Golovkin can even win. It's like not even a thought anymore, I think, for a lot of people because they just think he's a little bit too long in the two. So, yeah, I do agree. You know what I mean? And there is lower levels of interest in the third fight. I mean, some people want to see it, but um, <clears throat> it's not like when I heard about it, I was like, oh, wow, it's kind of kind of a surprise him not going right back and fighting Dimitri Bivol. But um, I see kind of why he didn't want to do that. He, I think he does. I think it's the confidence booster thing, the opportunity to make more a nice big payday at the same time as get a good win against a guy that you struggled with in the past, kind of give you that <clears throat> little bit of extra motivation. Then when you come back up, actually being prepared more so mentally and not overlooking the importance of of a game plan and a fight with a guy like Dimitri Bivol. And I think he would, you know, obviously, if he gets this win with uh, with Triple G, moving back up, he would probably be better suited to have a better game plan. And I think he will. And the fight will probably be a little bit more interesting. I don't know if he'll win, but it'll definitely be more interesting. We shall see. We shall see. Hopefully, it is a good one. Um, but yeah, we're going to see it for the third time. Um, it's going to be on pay-per-view, the zone pay-per-view in the US, but it's going to be included in the monthly subscription in the UK, so I guess I can't moan too much. Uh, anyway, moving on to the preview part of the show. This one takes place later today at the Ford Community Center in Dearborn, Michigan, USA. Over here, we're going to see Otto Wallin, 23-1 and in a 10-rounder against Rydell Booker, 26-5 and with a draw. Uh, the main event as well, Shojohan Ergashev, 21-0 and 0 in a 10-rounder against the Argentinian Luis Alberto Verón, who's now 19-3 and 3 with two draws. I remember him losing his O to Michael McKinson. Um, moving out now to the concert hall in Moscow, Russia. Over here, one fight to mention. We're going to see Sergei Kuzmin, 16-2. and 2. The, one lo uh, the two losses came to Michael Hunter and... Uh, Martin Bacoli. He gets in with Richard Larty of Ghana, who's, I think, uh, well, who was at least at one point, I believe, sponsored by WhatsApp. He's 14 and 5, and um, I remember him getting banged out by um, Daniel Dubois, then he got banged out by uh, a few other people, and I think he's coming off about four losses in a row, Richard Larty, who's another guy from Ghana who is apparently about 29 or 28, and he's he's only been bald for about, uh, about 27 years, so yeah, I'm not sure about the age on him. Um, and I think he had issues getting into the country once before about his passport, so something's not quite right there with Richard Larty. But all the best to him. I remember him turning up with, I think he's the guy that turned up with like pink hair or something once. Um, and I don't know how, because he has got a bald head. It must have been stuck on with sellotape. Um, moving out now. This one, this one takes place on, on Friday, tomorrow, at the Avangarde Ice Hockey Academy in Omsk, Russia. Um, over here, Maxim Vlasov, 46-4 in a 10-rounder against Dilmarod Satibuldiev, who's 12-2. And, and the main event, Alexei Papin, 13-1 in a 10-rounder against Dylan Prazovic, who I think... He's 15-2, and two, but I think he lost his O to Lawrence Acoli and then might have lost to maybe Chris Billum-Smith or someone like that. Um, 
So yeah, bit of a mismatch. I think Papin's going to annihilate the guy. But Papin needs to be back in the big fights. He's a great fighter, but I'm not sure what's going on. I mean, it's been a while. It's been a few years since he's boxed at the top level. Needs to get back, man. It absolutely needs to get back. Time's not going to wait for him. And same for Vlasov. I mean, really and truly... He arguably beat Joe Smith Jr. and didn't get the decision. Now he's boxing a guy who's 12-2 and two in Russia, really. Uh, moving out now to Germany at the Daibuch in Hamburg. Over here, um, we're going to see Manuel Char, 32-4 and four in a 10-rounder against Nikola Milicic, who's 21-2. and two. We're going to see um, Ali Aaron Demarizan, who's 15-1, and one, lost his O to uh, the big... Um, Effia Jagba, he's an eight-rounder against Kevin Kingpin Johnson, 35-18 and 18 with a draw. Would you believe that Kevin Kingpin Johnson's still boxing? He seems to keep popping up in Germany, his second home. Um, also on the card, Christian Hammer, 26-9 and nine in an eight-rounder against Drazan Janjanin, who's 22-34. and 34. Um, That's it for Germany. Moving out now to the final card to mention. It takes place on... Showtime pay-per-view at the Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, USA. On the undercard, friend of the show, Luis Arias, 19-3 and with a draw. Um, he's in a 10-rounder against Jimmy Williams, who's 18-7 and with two draws. Jimmy Williams was supposed to box Carlos Molina last weekend. That fight was supposed to be taking place in Mexico. Carlos was going to be promoting the show and fighting in the main event. However, Showtime have come along and offered Jimmy Williams a bit more money, so he's decided to see you later, Carlos, and that, that show has, decided, uh, has fallen through as a result of that, and he's now boxing... At the Barclays Center instead of in Mexico, and it's going to be on pay-per-view, so you can't blame him too much. But all the best to his opponent, Luis Arias, friend of the show. Um, we've also got a good fight here between Jesus Ramos, 18-0, undefeated in a 10-rounder against the man who keeps springing upsets, Luke Santamaria, who is 13-2 with a draw, I believe. Um, I think he's upset the odds against Devin Alexander and Michael Fox, I think. It is. Um, this one as well on the card for the WBA World Middleweight title. Eris Landy Lara, 28-3 and three with three draws in a 12-rounder against Gary Spike O'Sullivan, friend of the show, 31-4. and four. Um, I haven't spoke to Spike O'Sullivan for years now, but really, really, really nice guy. He can punch, but I think... Yeah, I think he's going to be kind of lost at sea in this fight with Lara's boxing skills. I don't really think he stands a chance in that one, to be honest with you. But hope I'm wrong. It would be amazing if he was able to, you know, Lara is getting old, you know. He's getting old, and it would be amazing if he could somehow do something here. And the main event, somebody's own must go. 26-0, Javante Tank Davis gets in with Rolando Romero. 14-0, 12 rounds, Eddie, for the WBA lightweight world title. Um, everyone I've spoken to <laughs> thinks the same in this fight, really. A lot of people think Davis is going to just run him over, but I don't think there's anyone who thinks it's going to go the distance. Yeah, I got to agree. Um, I don't necessarily know about the running over thing. I think um, it possibly, you know what I mean? I would actually enjoy that. <laughs> you know, no disrespect, but um, Romero is just, you know, I, 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 maybe I won't watch it too much into what he's doing and he's saying he's just trying to put himself out there as what he thinks is the best, you know, fighter in the division, obviously. But he's just, I think he's just, he's putting out too much negative 
with everyone. You know what I mean? Like there's talk about other fighters are joke or jokes that, you know, essentially are better fighters than he is. And I mean, you know, he's not supposed to have a negative outlook on himself, no matter whether uh, or, or not he thinks he's better. It would, of course, he does think he's better. He's supposed to think he's better, but um, it's just too much negative press. He's doing too much talking and not enough fighting. He's got to fight one of these guys and beat them. Then he can say, I'm the second coming of Jesus Christ. But you're going, you know, you beat a couple okay fighters, you know what I mean? A couple guys, you know what I mean? And and, and that's good. But you you, you got to do a little bit more than what he's doing. And he's expecting just to go in there and when the first punch I land and blah, blah, blah. And then what happens is you go in, you get if you get sparked, you know what I mean, in the first round or the first couple rounds or whatever, then you're going to be looked at as a joke. You know what I'm saying? So it's just it's just about respect. And I think one thing about uh, about boxing, at least in this generation, what I've seen, I haven't seen as much respect. I mean, then again, I'm, I don't know. Maybe in the past it's been the same. But I've seen I've seen in the past, I think, when a lot of these cases, a little bit more respect between pro athletes. And I'm just not seeing it as much, especially with this guy. And it's like he's not even <laughs> – he's talking about, like, I'm going to hit him with the, the first shot I'm going to throw. I'm going to land, and it's going to take him out. And it's like if that happens, great for him but it's really unlikely and you got to show yourself to have more substance when you're in there and it it can't just be about your size and your power it's got to be about your ability and from when i'm watching him he doesn't really he's not a bad fighter he has talent you know obviously he wouldn't got he wouldn't have got to this point if he didn't um but i just don't see him with the level of ability and the at the level of where tank is to where Devin Haney is, to where a lot of these big, these, these bigger name guys are. I think he's just, I think he's below that. And, 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 and that's my opinion. Maybe, maybe he's going to prove me wrong. And, you know, for him, I hope so. But in, in this, in these fighting, I think, you know, that one of the scariest ones to fight, I think, um, aside from tank, uh, you know, it's Shakur Stevenson that I would want to stay away from if I was a fighter in those divisions and, and Devin Haney's not far off. And obviously you got the, the four belt champ with um, uh, well, yeah, with, with George Camposo. So I mean, and then you know, then you still have uh, a Lopez lingering, and and then there's there's a uh, uh, Lomachenko still out there. There's still a lot of dangerous fighters. Like Ryan Garcia as well. So there's a lot of dangerous little fighters out there that he's gonna be mixing with. Now, granted, if he shoots to the top of them all by beating Tank, great for him, but. It's just it's. I think it's going to be a lot harder than what he expects it to be when he gets in there, because Tank is very very tough, but he's also extremely skilled and explosive as all hell. So it's going to be very very difficult because once and then remember, like from just watching this kid, and and what he does, it it just it just it doesn't it just doesn't look that good. And I seen the fight he had with the uh, I can't remember the guy's name, real tall, kind of not gonna say real tall, but tall like rangy guy. Throws a lot of crazy looking shots, but but good good fighter that possibly beat him. If you know, do you know what I'm talking about, Joe? I can't remember the guy's name, but I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, and it and I watched it. I watched like the highlights of it and some of the stuff that and I'm like, damn. And now that's obviously a style that's so different from what Tank is going to bring. But I don't. I think Tank has a lot of speed. And he knows how he has good footwork. He knows how to get inside, and he's a vicious finisher. So you know, and I'm not to discount what Rolando Romero is going to bring. You know, he's a puncher too. He's a dangerous guy. You know, big strong kid. You know what I mean? In, in those in that weight class, but can he compete 
with this level because I think this is without a doubt a huge step up for him. So I, you know, all of the talk and all of what you're gonna do and all of that stuff is great, but I, I think he's gonna he's he's really put himself in a tough situation and he's gonna have to he's gonna have to show out. And I just don't think he will. I'm, I'm expecting Tank probably to get him in the middle rounds, um, you know, maybe early, but I'm thinking the middle rounds. But it's gonna be he, unless he, he's gonna have to show me a, a hell of a chin, <laughs> you know, when he's in there because Tank is definitely gonna test it. Yeah, I think there's no doubt in the world that it's going to be very exciting while it lasts. And um, very excited again because Romero is absolutely huge for 135. So it's going to be good to see uh, Tank, you know, giving away, um, you know, all, all of that height. Well, yeah, giving away all that height, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can, what, what he's going to look like really with another really big fighter who can punch in front of him. So. It's going to be intriguing while it lasts, like I say. And do not blink, because I think somebody's going. Um, but anyway, that brings the preview part to a close. In part one, we did the review part. We had our special guest, Harlem Eubank. And in part two, we did the news part of the show, and we've just wrapped up the preview part. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 345 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A special thank you to our special guest, the undefeated super lightweight prospect, Mr. Harlem Eubank. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.